0: Hello, this is Natalie Baker, Vice President of Marketing here at Breckenridge, and welcome to the Breckenridge podcast. Today, I'm joined by two senior members of Breckenridge's investment team to discuss the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act released last week from the House. Adam Stern, co-head of research, will lay out some of the key provisions of the Act and highlight some of the supply, demand, and credit impacts while Matt Busconi, Co-Head of Portfolio Management, will discuss the trading and market implications. So Adam, let's start with you. So what was in the bill that is meaningful to Muni investors?
1: So, uh, I mean, the bill's long. There's a lot of pieces in there, um, over 400 pages, but certainly there's, you know, four or five items that that we think are important to think about for uh, muni investors going forward. I think the key thing to uh, start off with is just to remind everyone, uh, all the changes would be perspective. So they don't affect uh, tax exempt interest that's out there in the market there or outstanding bonds. It would be all these provisions would affect bonds issued after December 31st of, uh, of this year, 2017. But what are some of the key provisions we're we're thinking about. Well, first is um, the elimination of uh, tax exemption to uh, private activity bonds that would uh, beginning beginning next year. A private activity bond uh, has a fairly technical definition for the tax code. So it's anything where uh, 10% of the proceeds are used in a private business use and 10% of the principal interest payments are secured by property used in a private business. It also includes any bonds where more than 5% of the proceeds are subsequently lent to a non-governmental borrower, uh, or more than five million is lent to a non-governmental borrower. The takeaway for investors that uh, Breckenridge works with is that uh, this includes a subset of the market where they might want to invest, and that includes nonprofit hospitals, private higher education uh, universities. It also includes some uh, water revenue bonds, uh, sometimes uh, airports, uh, redevelopment deals. Um, it's really a, a reasonably large portion of the market. Another area that the that the bill uh, tackles, which is definitely um, important to be aware of, is the tax exemption for advance for fundings. So starting next year, issuers couldn't refinance bonds uh, before their call date, the typical call date's 10 years in the muni market, uh, unless they wanted to do it with taxable bonds. So that's going to uh, reduce the size of the market a bit. The bill uh, also uh, eliminates uh, the state and local tax uh, deduction, which is, which is a big deal, with the exception of up to $10,000 in local property tax that can be uh, deducted. And then it makes some rate changes, uh, of course. So uh, it cuts the corporate income tax rate to uh, 20%, uh, and it keeps the top uh, personal income tax rate at 39.6%. Uh, but it moves up where that rate starts. So it it used to start at about four hundred eighty thousand for a married couple. It now starts at at one million, or it would start at one million under this proposal.
0: Okay. So you've talked about quite a few changes here. Were any of the contents of the bill a surprise, or was everything pretty much expected?
1: Yeah. Good. Good question. So the um, uh, the state and local tax provisions, uh, frankly, were pretty well telegraphed. Uh, that's uh, been bandied about in the press for a few months. And I think, you know, lowering corporate rates and, you know, having a top rate maybe a little lower than where it is now, uh, maybe the same, I think for a few weeks that was also pretty well understood. But uh, the elimination of uh, tax-exempt financing for private activity bonds and uh, the disallowance of the tax exemption for advance for fundings, you know, that that was a big surprise for the market. So just to give uh, listeners uh, some perspective, I mean, just— About a week or two ago, uh, the Bond Buyer, our um, industry uh, newspaper, it was running an article um, quoting Kevin Brady, the House Ways and Means Chair, saying that there is strong bipartisan support for preserving the tax exemption. The president, of course, over the last several months uh, since uh, the election, has also uh, reiterated his support in meetings with various stakeholders for the tax exemption, very supportive of infrastructure spending. The Government Finance Officers Association, uh, which represents issuers, Um, You know, they're on the Hill. They've met, uh, they've been over 90 meetings, uh, their lobbyists reported, and this kind of proposal hadn't come up. So it certainly was uh, a bit of a surprise in that way. I do think it's important to recognize uh, a bigger picture. I mean, Breckenridge has been concerned actually for for quite a while, for a few years, that a meaningful change to the tax code as it applies to uh, taxes and bonds uh, was coming. And we've written about this in a number of Uh, different contexts in uh, our annual uh, uh, credit outlooks or um, in white papers on the tax exemption from a few years ago when we had the the fiscal cliff uh, debates. But the bottom line is, if you look at the federal government's books, deficits keep growing, right? So what does that mean? There's more incentive to push down costs to states, um, and there's more incentive to have a a tax competition between states and the federal government. And this is certainly an example of that. Um, Taking away the ability to issue taxes and bonds increases revenue for the government and makes financing uh, infrastructure more more costly for uh, lower levels of government. Income inequality is high, right? So uh, the federal government's gotta pay for these deficits who should bear the cost, certainly the political support for tax-exempt bonds that benefit high-income persons is not really a political uh, winner. Um, You couple that with uh, what we saw in uh, 2009, 2010 with Babs and the success of that program. Uh, We, you know, for a long time, people said, well, taxable bonds can't work in the muni market. Well, we now know that they can. Babs is a proven market. (laughs) So we can intermediate the infrastructure markets in this country with taxable bonds, and then I think the other thing to think about is there's you know there's a large pool of private capital out there that is interested in uh, investing in infrastructure. You see this with the uptick in discussions about uh, P3s, public-private partnerships. Um, you see it with an uptick in foreign participation in our market. It's still low; it's like 2.6 percent of the market, but it's up from less than one percent, you know, a decade ago or so. And certainly, there's an asset liability ma- uh, matching function there, with you know long duration pension funds that don't benefit from the tax exemption, wanting to uh, buy um, you know longer duration uh, uh, assets like a, a bridge or a toll road or or what have you. So you add all that together, it did seem like as has seemed to us that risks for the tax exemption have been uh, elevated for quite some time and are likely to stay elevated. And it's certainly one reason why. You know, Breckenridge has made a concerted effort to develop a crossover functionality in our uh, investment accounts. We just think there's going to be more opportunity for crossover buyers in, in both directions, really.
0: I see. Well, you've talked about some of the eliminations, the elimination of the tax exemption for private activity bonds, et cetera. It sounds like the market is shrinking, but on the other hand, on the demand side, rates are supposed to go down for many taxpayers. So What's the net of all this? What's the impact on supply and demand?
1: Right. So, good. So, good question. So, our view is that on net, the market is likely to shrink. On the supply side, um, it seems pretty clear to us that uh, the size of the tax exempt market uh, will decrease. So, private activity bonds uh, account for up to about. of the market, if you look at uh, Federal Reserve data, in advance for fundings in any given year could be 10 to 40% of of the market. Uh, JP Morgan came out uh, just in the last uh, day or two uh, with a number that says the combined portion of issuance for advance for fundings and private activity bonds is about 27% of of total issuance on average for the last decade, about $105 billion a year. So if you eliminate those two groups from the tax-exempt market, that means the size of the market's likely to shrink. Uh, that should place downward pressure on tax-exempt yields, uh, and all things being equal, uh, lower ratios. On the demand side, uh, you've got a couple of trends that are working across purposes And, uh, you know, I don't know that we're sure they exactly cancel each other out, um, but we don't have a high enough conviction view to say uh, demand's moving one way or another. Uh, so hence, uh, the big t- takeaway is the market's likely to shrink as, as supply shrinks. But just some detail on on that demand. On the one hand, you're going to have, uh, you'd have lower corporate rates um, with this proposal for a 20% corporate rate. And that could have some impact on demand from banks and insurance companies. Uh, notably, bank demand, banks were about 6% of our market in 2009. They're about almost 15% uh, today. Um, a lot of bank demand, we think, is intended to be held to maturity, so we don't expect Banks to to blow out of their positions, um, but certainly, as a marginal buyer, they may slow uh, their purchases if this uh, proposal goes through. On the other hand, uh, it's important to remember you still have pretty high effective federal marginal tax rates. So, you know, remember the top rate stays at thirty nine point six percent for the highest earners, um, and while that rate you know doesn't kick in until one million instead of the current four hundred and eighty for married couples. Um, it is still true that high earners are uh, uh, still a big portion and going to be a big portion of taxes and immunity demand. So, uh, so that top rate still matters. Um, and then you couple that rate with the elimination of the bulk of the state and local tax deduction, and you have a, a, an even higher effective federal marginal tax rate uh, in most places. So for a person in the top tax bracket who lives in a state with a personal income tax, uh, tax equivalent yields uh, for in-state bonds should go up. And um, how these forces play out, again, not entirely clear uh, at this point, but um, we think demand is is at least likely to, you know, stay in the same range.
0: Okay, well, let's switch gears a little now and talk about the credit impacts. Does changing the tax code as they've proposed it impact credit at all?
1: Yeah, so I think there's there's four general areas to think about there. First, the, the state and local deduction, right? So... Um, a lot of research on this, the state and local deduction subsidizes, right, the cost of state and local government. So if you remove it, it makes funding state and local government more costly. Um, The way this plays out, you take California uh, is a good example. Um, The top marginal rate there is 13%, but you can deduct California taxes from your federal return. So the effective rate on that that marginal dollar in California is 8%. It may make it uh, decrease public willingness to fund infra- infrastructure projects, uh, education initiatives, whatever it is. Second, by creating a reliable supply of, uh, of taxable bonds um, and, and uh, removing PABs from the tax exempt market, we, we could see a lot of changes in the market that are uh, slightly less friendly to creditors. So what do I mean by that? I think if you have more private lenders, they tend to be a little more uh, sophisticated, you, you could have uh, you know, put provisions like you see in bank lending. Uh, some of these P3 deals that we say, if that were to, to grow because of a, a taxable market, uh, it could be very, very complicated and have provisions that you don't always see when you're looking at balance sheets. Certainly more bullet maturities is something we could see. Uh, buyers of taxable bonds like to see uh, bullets. Um, they don't like to see serial maturities like we have, at least to the same extent uh, that we have in the muni market. A third thing you could see uh, is states just have to change <laughs> their actual tax codes. A lot of states piggyback their definition of adjusted gross income or their state tax provisions, for example, uh, off the federal tax codes. And, and so many states would have to just change what their de- definitions are if, if a bill like this goes through uh, to prevent either a, a, tax, uh, a net reduction in tax or uh, taxing their residents too high. Um, and then fourth, there are some real estate changes that we didn't really talk about in this podcast, but uh, that could have an impact on home values. They generally relate to lowering the amount of um, a mortgage that, uh, uh, that qualifies for the mortgage interest deduction. Um, and uh, so in some high-income, high-priced areas and blue states, it may make owning a high-priced home a little more expensive. Um, on the flip side, it might actually slow turnover in some of these high-priced areas as well by reducing the likelihood that somebody wants to sell their house, uh, because if they buy another one, they they have to, uh, uh, they wouldn't be able to deduct the interest. Uh, how that dynamic plays out, I think, is yet to be seen, but, but certainly a market that relies on property taxes to fund a lot of government and back a lot of bonds, home prices are something we pay a lot of attention to.
0: All right. Thanks, Adam. You've given us a lot of very significant credit fundamental impacts to think about, as well as some technicals in terms of supply and demand that you spoke about earlier. So now let's move on to Matt to talk about some of the market implications. So Matt, what's happened with muni and treasury bonds as we look back in advance of the announcement and then since the tax reform was announced last week?
2: So prior to the announcement on the tax reform, uh, treasury yields have been moving higher in the month end Um, As equities had continued to rally, the risk had continued to perform well uh, based on that promise of tax reform. Shorter maturity Treasury yields had also risen on increased expectations for a Fed rate hike uh, in December. Uh, At one point late October, I think it was on the 26th, the 10-year Treasury uh, reached a high of 2.46% before rallying back into the low 230s. Muni yields has risen as well uh, and slightly underperformed Treasuries although that was mainly due to a heavier new issue calendar uh, and some modest outflows from mutual funds in the week leading up to that. Um, Since the announcement, so this news broke, um, call it on Thursday afternoon or uh, Wednesday afternoon, I believe, uh, long tax-exempt muni's have rallied sharply. Uh, Those yields are lower by, call it, 15 to 7 basis points on the long end, Uh, and the 30-year ratio of a tax-exempt municipal to the government bond um, is down to 95%.
0: So was any of the tax announcement priced in, in your view?
2: So if you look back a few years, munis had actually been cheaper due to fear that tax reform would be transformative uh, and would impact municipal bonds in a negative way. Uh, And those fears kind of peaked early last December uh, when municipal ratios to government bonds were north of 100% uh, across our entire yield curve. Now, as you go through this year, municipal ratios to treasuries have moved substantially lower Uh, as the market had really priced out the possibility uh, of any tax reform that was going to be very negative uh, for municipal bonds. Um, As the bill got closer, uh, as Adam had mentioned, the market was expecting the elimination of the SALT deduction and a lowering of the corporate tax rate, but neither of those were really expected to have an outsized impact on the market. What wasn't expected or priced in uh, was the elimination of PABs uh, or the advanced refunding provision, uh, and we've seen that impact the market, particularly on the long end in a positive way.
0: So as we look forward, could this proposal mean more volatility in the muni market?
2: You know, so the big caveat is that we're likely to see changes before this gets enacted. Um, As Adam mentioned, nobody was really expecting the removal of private activity bonds or the elimination of advance refundings. So there does exist the possibility that that gets reinstated due to some of the negotiations over the coming weeks. Um, But the volatility could come uh, in a couple different ways, and most of that comes through the supply side. Uh, we may see an uptick of issuance for the remainder of this year um, as issuer to look to capture savings via refundings before they go away. Or we may see a rash of issuers come uh, in the private activity market from hospital healthcare or higher ed uh, as they look to access the muni market before that window closes. So you may see a burst of supply in the short term that may cheapen up the market. But if the bill does pass in this form, we're likely to see a material impact on lower new issue supply in 2018 which would likely be a positive for tax-exempt muni performance. All
0: right, well, thanks so much, Matt. We hope that you in the field have found this informative, and we look forward to you joining us on our next podcast. Thanks so much.